morning we're going to jump back into, if I can say it right, <laughs> we're going to jump back into our What is the Gospel series, as Jason uh, said, and we're going to be looking at Jesus Christ the Savior. And my text for today is going to be John 3.16, uh, verses John 3.16 through 21. And uh, we are going to aim to answer the question, what has God done to address our problem? Well, last week we learned what our problem was, what mankind's problem was. As uh, Jason taught on the subject uh, last week, man the sinner. We asked the question, in what condition does this accountability find us? And before that, who are we accountable to, right? Because there's someone greater than us that we're accountable to. We're accountable to God. And so, but, but God, we're accountable to him, and yet God provides the solution. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So what has God done to address this problem? And so what we learned last week is that we have found ourselves all dead to sin. Because of original sin, every single human, whoever was, whoever is, is without excuse before God. Because of the curse of sin and sinfulness in the world, apart from God's intervention through his Son, we are hopelessly lost, condemned sinners, unable <coughs> by any means <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to save ourselves. I should probably turn my mic off when I do that. <clears throat> but thanks be to God that that's not the end of the plan. If it were, according to his word, we would be condemned hopeless sinners. But God's predetermined plan includes him offering himself for us through his only begotten son, Jesus, the Savior of the world. This morning is my aim to turn our attentions and our affections towards Jesus Christ, the Savior. And to answer this question, what has God done to address this problem? But before we dive into answering this question, we need to establish something about Jesus that I think is very important for us as a church. And that is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Who is Jesus? I know for many of us, we'd have a Sunday school answer that Jesus is God. <coughs> but that's not the case in culture. My first point is, is that the gospel is Jesus. This statement is the apex of, the, of what the gospel is. Jesus is the pinnacle of the good news. God is the gospel, sometimes we hear that said. He is the sinless Savior who was never guilty of a single sin whatsoever, yet chose to offer up himself for our sins. God gave himself through the person and work of his only begotten Son. And I want to press pause here for a few minutes and ask us to push away all the noise that's going on in our minds and in our hearts. We have so many cares and worries nowadays that, that whether it's politics or a family member or illness or, or whatever, a work situation, let's, let's come in these doors and shut the world out for about 30 minutes. And let's let these truths sink in about who Jesus is. God gave himself as an offering for sins. It's always been this way. What God required, even in the Old Testament, God provided. <coughs> this is the central message of the Bible. What was impossible with us is made possible by the perfect, sinless Savior, Jesus. What was the motivation of God to do such a thing? Well, it was His glory and his love, what we're going to learn today. And another truth about Jesus is that Jesus is eternal. 
the unfolding of God's predetermined plan was and is that before the foundation of the world, Jesus stepped forward to save God's people from their sins. And we see a glimpse of this, this language before the foundations of the world in Peter's sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. I'm going to go through a lot of Bible verses this morning, and I want you guys just to, to hear them and listen to them. Don't, don't worry about flipping to them in, in your Bible if you, if you, if you don't want to, or, or just look at them up on the screen. But let me just read them for us this morning. It says this, Acts 2, 22 through 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus was preaching his first sermon at Pentecost. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, this is a truth that he's claiming about Jesus, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it was impossible for him to be held by it. This was part of Jesus' eternal existence and mission, was to glorify the Father. Therefore, it is the mission of the church to declare and to imitate, to, to, to behave in such a way, to live in such a way, that this gospel of Jesus Christ as Savior to our communities and to the nations, the world, Jesus' unfailing mission rests upon his sinless, divine, yet fully human existence. This existence has always been from eternity. Jesus is eternal. We get a glimpse of the eternality of Jesus while he was praying to the Father nearing his crucifixion. In John's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, and we'll come back to this later on, this is what we get a glimpse into Jesus praying to the Father. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him all authority over all flesh, to give, him, give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the, true, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, with whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now... Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory with I had, with I had with you before the world existed. Jesus has always existed in the Trinity. Jesus, God's eternal Son, has always existed also to glorify the Father, and that was his plan. He is the Savior of the world. Another point about Jesus is that all things were created for Jesus. We continue in John's Gospel, back at the very beginning in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And John writes this, as he's writing his Gospel, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, not anything was made that was made. In him was the life. And the light, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So what we learn from this chapter 1 in John's Gospel, we learn that everything that was made or exists, exists for Jesus. He is the Word, the Logos, and in Him is life and light of all people. Throughout the centuries, there's been much discussion about this, this term in John's Gospel, Word, Logos. Yet, as John Calvin said, I do not wish to enter into philosophical discussions. 
beyond the limits of my faith, something that Nicodemus failed to grasp earlier in John chapter 3. And we see that the Spirit of God is so far from approving such details, such, such details of getting bogged down and debating about over words and quarreling about philosophies, that in talking with us, in other words, the way that John penned the beginning of chapter 1, the very silence proclaims a sobering reality that we should have in our intellectual approach to such high mysteries. That Jesus was and is the Word of God, and He has always existed. So this concept of the meaning of the word, or logos, which is message, to the Greeks back then, John presented Jesus as a personification and embodiment of the logos, of the word, the message. He embodied the message of God. Likewise, John presented Jesus to his Jewish readers as the incarnation of divine power and revelation. In Jesus, the true Logos, who was and is, God became a man. And he is the true source and power of all wisdom and life. All things exist and have their being in Christ. Not only is Jesus our Savior, but all things hold together by the power of Christ. Let me say that again. In Jesus, the true Logos, who has and was and is, God became a man, and he is the true source of power and all wisdom. Therefore, Jesus is trustworthy. If Jesus is God, he is trustworthy. He can secure, he can solve our problem. Let that sink in, that the true source and power of all wisdom and life, that which was before the beginning of all creation of the world, is God. And while the world fell under judgment and curse of sin, God himself chose to take up that which he created, body and flesh. That's, that's powerful when you think about that. That God took up flesh and blood, that which he created, he incarnated, became a man. And not only so, he, God himself in Jesus, subjected himself to humanity, to all the sinful thoughts and the sneers and the jeers and, and just all the ugliness of the world. God became man for the express, express purpose of fulfilling God's will by satisfying his wrath absorbing it, and by redeeming and paying for our sins. That which was holy, pure, noble, right, true, and just, the author of life, in love, became the Savior of the world in Christ Jesus. I remember when Jesus in his mercy and compassion moved towards me and saved me. My feelings swelled up in my heart, in my conscience, that Jesus used to draw me to himself. Because I had learned as a young teenager that some of the guys that I used to run with, that uh, uh, one of these young guys, his parents, worshipped the devil. And it was shocking to my friend group. We were like, whoa. And I remember being in that house as a young teenager and realizing, man, something's off about this house. And so God used that experience to stir me up. And I began, as it were, to look back on my life as a child, and I began to see all the exit signs. I remember as a young boy with my mom sitting in Catholic church and seeing Christ crucified on a cross as a sign. And I remember seeing that in my mind and going, man, what is the deal? There are people who worship the devil, and I know that there are people who worship God. I need to know more about this. And so... God used all of this information to just come crashing in upon my life. And I can remember my friend, Marcy Murphy. She was one of those people, one of those Christians, who was always seemed to be there when life was the worst. 
when I was young as a teenager, struggling with depression and all kinds of things and, and, and divorce and all that, Marcy was always there at the right time when I was at my lowest to just say, Dave, just give your life to Christ. All your burdens would roll away. And so I went over to her house, and I remember walking in that door of that house and looking down the hall to the left and seeing a picture, one of those old pictures you used to see at Lifeway, of Jesus standing at the door. That You know, Breck Jesus is, I think, what we used to call him. You know, pretty hair, and he's just knocking at the door. And, and as I walked in that, once again, it was a, a, a signpost, if you will. It was a reminder of what was going on in my life. That literally right there in that moment, Christ was knocking on the door of my heart. So I sat down with Mrs. Murphy, and I thank God for her, and she began to open up the Bible and share about all of time. Not just the end of times, but all of God's plan for creation. And as she went through all this, in my heart and my mind, it became heavy. And I knew that there was a separation between me and God. And I knew that I needed God to have mercy on me. Because what I realized was the problem that we learned about last week. And that was that I was a condemned sinner because of my sin. And I needed a Savior to rescue me. And I, up until that point, I had no idea ever what the purpose was for Christ on the cross. Just as a kid, you know. Some people do. But I didn't at that moment. I knew after she shared the gospel with me and she, she told me about Christ, I knew that I wanted to be saved. And so right there at the end, I just cried out, Lord, forgive me. Have mercy on me. Save me. And I'll tell you, something happened to me that day. I was born again. My life changed. And, and I remember going home as a 16-year-old boy and walking in the door. And look. I look like a real clean-cut guy, but let me tell you something. There was a time in my life where I did a lot of partying and a lot of just crazy living. And my mom, I don't know about y'all's mom, but my mom always met me at the door. You ever have that happen to you? Like, you know, you're, you've been out as a teenager and you're, you're partying, you're probably doing things you shouldn't be doing. But lo and behold, my mom always, she'd be at the door. And it, I don't care what time it was, whether it was 1230 at night or 2 o'clock in the morning, She'd hear that door, click, click, and, and, I, and she'd be right there, and she would just be all up in my stuff, and she, she knew, she would always know, Mama always knows, by the way, Mama knew that I, I had been living a life of just for myself and selfishness, but she knew when I walked in that door after giving my life to Christ, she knew something was different, and before she passed away, my mom died uh, a few years ago. We, we've, since that time, had lots of discussions. And I remember her telling me one time that she knew that Jesus had changed me, that there was an aroma on my life. And I thank God for that. So God's judgment in his mercy, when Jesus died for our sins to save us, kissed at the cross. And I didn't see that because I always had felt like God is wrathful, God is vengeance, God is going to get you. But I never understood God and the man Christ Jesus, that he is my Savior, and that he died for me because he loves me. And so another thing I want to tell the church this morning is that Jesus is preeminent in all things. He's first above all. We see this expressed in Paul's letter to the Colossians. In, Col in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, and I'll read it to you says this about Jesus. When I read the word he, it's in reference to Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn above all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. Thank God. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, 
that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus, God in human flesh, loved us in person. True wisdom, truth, justice, mercy, grace is personified in Jesus. And he has always existed this way perfectly. Can we feel the weight of this fact about who Jesus is? And the fact that who Jesus is, that this is who God gave in love for the world. He gave his son to save sinners. And so let's look at this. This Jesus, the Savior, and God, and what God has done to address this problem. And so this morning I'm going to read what Jason read for us earlier in John 3.16. And, and we've read this passage a thousand times for some of us, and it's so easy to just kind of whew, like skip right over it. But man, it's, it's, it's powerful. Um, so it says this, starting in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his Son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. There's that problem. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. That's the reality. If you are not a follower of Christ, Jesus is telling Nicodemus and he's telling us today that we stand condemned already because of sin. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and the people love darkness. It's true. Rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Here is God's remedy for sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That is glorious. So let's, un let's start to unpack this phrase, because this is where I, I want to do some camping out here. For God so loved the world that he gave his Son. So starting in verse 16 with the first word, for. For God intended to reach, determined to connect with us. This small conjunction connects with Jesus' previous answer to Nicodemus' question, how can these things be? What things was he talking about? Nicodemus was inquiring about being born again because he knew Nicodemus and the Pharisees had been observing what was going on and that people's lives were truly being changed. And there was something that drew Nicodemus to Jesus at night. And he wanted to know, what are these things? Our next word in our phrase, for God so loved the world, is God. For God. The, 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 the theos, the creator of all things. God, the author of life who has always existed, perfect, holy, just, and benevolent, has always intended to reach you and me. He moved toward us with perfect compassion and tenderness. He entered into our intimate sufferings and wrapped his compassionate arms around us. He spoke into our hearts and raised us up from our spiritually dead state. Like Jason said a couple of weeks ago, we weren't just drowning in the sea, we were floating dead upon it. 
spiritually speaking. And then Christ spoke. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. He revived and remedied our dead hearts. And now we walk in a new genesis as believers because we have been born again from above. And this is a gift of God. This is himself. We read about this truth in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Listen to this as I read it to you. It's just so, so good. You know, there's a scripture that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is one of those. I think about a good, good prime steak. I love to grill on my grill. This, this is one of those just good pieces of meat. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, what did he do? Made us alive in together, made us alive together with Christ. Paul says, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. It's a promise, a future promise. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? infinitely forever in eternity God is going to show his immeasurable graces and kindness forever towards us in Christ how could you not want to follow Christ how can we settle for the things of this world when God gives us himself the author of life for us to be born again let's get back to our verse in John chapter 3, in verse 16, I've gotten, gotten off here a little bit. So our phrase, for God so loved the world, we're at the so loved part. This wor word or phrase is never used, so loved, between sexes in the Bible, but is nearly always of the love of God or Christ to us and of our love to him and to our fellow creatures, as inspired by his love for us. True love, dear people, comes from God. It doesn't come from other human beings, but true love comes from and flows out of God. Love is God, not the other way around. It was his perfect intention to express his love to the world, that what did he do? He gave his son. May we sit and hear this morning, sit and listen to what God has done and who he has gave. There are no earthly comparisons to what this looks like. No one has given as God has given as an expression of his love in his son, Jesus. A love for us that why we were enemies, Christ died for us. Back to our verse. So we looked at for God so loved. Next word is world. This word world in the Greek is pronounced cosmos. It means universe. It's the sum total of created things. This word is where we get the word for cosmetology, makeup. It is the world that God created through and for his son. God so loved what he created that he gave his son. And so that leads us right into our next phrase, that he gave his only son. This is where I'd like to camp out. Because when we read this phrase, it can often be a passing statement that we're so used to seeing, reading, and hearing that it can lose its significance. I mean, athletes put 316 on their cheeks. There's signs and games all over the place. It can become so familiar. 
that it doesn't carry the weight that God gave his son. We become disconnected in our minds and our hearts because we've heard it a thousand times. It is like we might even liken this statement as if it were to that of fathers and mothers, maybe some of you in this room, who have given their sons to war, who have sacrificed to defeat a common enemy. And yes, it was heroic. While such acts of self-sacrifice are truly heroic, even in this sense of giving up, it falls short of God giving his son. God's only begotten son is God, if I haven't made that clear. And there never was a time when God had not begotten his son, because the begetting of his son is equally eternal with the existence of God the Father, the standing forth of the Son as a perfect personal image and representation and equal of the Father so that they exist in two persons with one divine essence is simply what it means to be God. This is the way God has existed from all eternity without beginning and Jesus existed with him. This is why I laid the groundwork at the beginning of this sermon. It's important that as we look at how do we solve this problem and what's God's solution for it, that we understand who is the solution. Let's talk more about Jesus, the Son of God. What does history say about Jesus? History says he was a good man, maybe even a teacher of some kind. What does culture say about Jesus? Oh boy. Let's sit down and buckle our seatbelts because culture nowadays has become this moving target and trying to nail down what culture says about Jesus can be a challenge, is a challenge. Some say that Jesus loves and accepts everyone just as they are. Jesus is my bro. Culture creates their own version of what they want him to be rather than who Jesus claims to be in the Word. So what does the Bible say about Jesus? In John's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, John writes this about Jesus. This is, a, this is a, such a reassuring verse, dear Christian. Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. What assurance of faith that God will not allow you to lose your salvation and be snatched out of his plan. Jesus says in verse 29, My Father has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus says he is God, and they are one. That's what got Jesus crucified, by the way. In John 17, that the Father has given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all that the Father has given him, and he and the Father are one. And let me look at, let me read verses uh, 1 through 5. In the Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, as he was in the garden right before the crucifixion. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. I just imagine what Jesus must have been feeling and experiencing in the garden before he was facing the cross. He says this as he's communing with the Father, because they're one. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, 
and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the foundation or before the world existed. We see this also in the Old Testament about Jesus. Isaiah wrote this about the coming Messiah, chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. Isaiah penned this prophetically. He said, For us a child is born, to us a son is given. To the government, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And listen to this. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. I'm telling you here this morning, Christ's kingdom is the only kingdom, is the only government that truly will bring peace and restoration to, to this world. It's not wrapped up in our government and the governments of the world. All they know how to do is destroy and kill one another. I'm telling you, dear Christians, church, there's coming a day when Christ is going to return and he is going to change the world and he will establish his kingdom, his throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts would do it. What a promise. Things are in such a deray in our, in our society, but you know what? I know that there's coming a day when the true kingdom and government will come with Christ. He will do it. Then in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, when Joseph was struggling what to do, because he, he knew Mary had, had, had been impregnated, didn't know what to do about that. It was an awkward situation, because he, he was a good man, he was a just man. He was seeking to lovingly deal with the situation. And this is what happened with Joseph in chapter uh, 1, verses 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And lastly, we see in John the Baptist proclaim this about Jesus. When John the Baptist was in the Jordan baptizing in, in repentance, and Jesus was walking up. It says this in John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. We get this picture. And on the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, John the Baptist. And John says this about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. Because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that he is the Son of God. Yet there's more to Jesus. While we can cruise at 35,000 feet and zoom out, Jesus came to zoom in. Jesus came to live amongst us. Jesus did so by experiencing and carrying all our burdens. Jesus felt everything as a man, yet without sin. Isaiah says this about our Savior, 
Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5. He says this about the Messiah. says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Don't miss that. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds... We are healed. All of God's wrath was pointed at Jesus. It didn't just disappear. It wasn't just canceled. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God for his people. For you and me, dear believer. But if you're not in Christ here today, that is just not the case. And so, as we transition, I want to talk more about how Jesus entered into every part of our lives to heal us and to restore us. Not just to save us, but to heal and restore, to fix, repair that which was broken, to redeem. This is such good news. Listen to this. To the adulterous woman, or I might say the adulterous man, he moved toward her and not away from her. He judged her accusers and yet told her to turn away from the very things that were harming her. Why? Because Jesus loved her and was saving her. To the woman at the well, he went out of his way to go meet with her. He engaged her in love and compassion. He knew her entire story. He went out of his way to, to greet her. And yet after her exchange with Jesus and her experience with Jesus, she went away and told her entire village about what Christ had done and who she had met. And then to Lazarus' sisters. You know the story? Lazarus had died. Sisters were upset and mad. Jesus, if he'd only been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus moved with grief and pity towards Lazarus' sisters because of sin's effects upon their hearts and their expression of their lack of belief in him as if Jesus couldn't raise Lazarus from the dead. He gave Lazarus life by raising him from the dead and defeating death itself. Not only did he give Lazarus life, but to ultimately demonstrate that in Jesus' hands is the power to give life and to take it away. Jesus healed the mother, mother of Peter's wife, the deaf mute, the blind from birth, the paralytic. He healed the centurion's servant, and Christ healed the woman who had been disabled, all to express and to show his love to those who believe in him, and it glorified God. In redemption, Jesus enters into our every dark area of our lives. For some of this, before we met Jesus, we were dysregulated, broken, dysfunctional, and Jesus came in and began to remodel our home. He began to kick out walls inside of us, getting rid of the old and bringing in the new. He began to bring in this salvation, which was from above, which is a new creation. And so let's summarize this, what God has done to address the problem for us today. In love, it was always God's plan to offer his son Jesus who has always existed in the Trinity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is trustworthy and in love willingly came to rescue and remedy us from the condemnation and the consequences of sin. He did so by dying upon the cross and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. 
when we utterly abandon ourselves and cast our, all our hopes, our faith and belief that Jesus is the Son of God, we are forgiven of our sins, granted eternal life, and the healing process from sin's effects begins. Jesus perfectly accomplishes this work for you and me. Jesus comes, dear people, to save us from ourselves. He saves us from the bondage of our sin and sin nature. Our shame, our intellectual and religious blindness, like Nicodemus, he, was, he knew there was something about Jesus, but he couldn't figure it out. He was blind. He had all this, he was a teacher of Israel, yet couldn't figure it out. Came to, came to Jesus late at night. His problem was that he was schooled in religion and not faith in Christ, the Messiah. So what about you? Have you truly met Jesus? Not some version of him? Have you heard his voice? Not someone else's voice? Have you experienced the resurrection power through the new genesis of the new life of being born again? Or are you still trusting in our own ability, your own ability, your own religion, your own version of Jesus? Or are you looking back to that time many years ago when you walked an aisle said an emotional prayer that was disconnected from your mind and your heart. And yet you look at your life today and nothing's different, nothing's changed. You don't see the work of God in your life remodeling and redoing. When God created the world on the seventh day, he rested from all that he has done and he declared it good. And when Jesus died on the cross, he declared it is finished. Salvation has been completed and finished by the only begotten, trustworthy Son of God. And so finally, I want to leave you with this, dearly beloved. Paul says this, because as if God's love isn't enough, in Romans 8, 37 through 39, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that, listen to this, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dear people, if you confess today with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. This is good news. This is the answer to the problem of our sin. So let's look at a few questions this morning. We can go through, look at them in our community groups. Question number one, how do you feel knowing that Jesus says he didn't come to condemn you, but that you were already condemned by sin? Think about that one. Number two, how does the concept that God so loved the world that he gave his son influence our understanding of the way that God feels about us, feels about you? God gave his son for you. Number three, do you truly believe that God loves you even though you have sinned. Oh, he does. This is why we need the gospel not just at one time, but every single day of our life. Every time we get up and get out of our beds and, and, you, and you're playing the reel again of what you did wrong and how horrible and terrible you are or you had a fight with so-and-so, we need the gospel again. We need Jesus to forgive us and cleanse us and work in us afresh and anew to help us with our sin problem. It's not just a one-time problem, it's a continual problem. And he sets us free from it. Number four, what do you believe about Jesus? 
What do you believe about Jesus? How does your belief or lack thereof shape the way you see yourself and the way you interact with others? Imitate Christ. Number five, have you come to a place in your life where you put your faith in Jesus and the work he did for you? If not, would you be willing to talk to one of our prayer partners today? I sure hope so, and our church sure hopes so. If you have any questions this morning, and not just this morning, and maybe you don't feel comfortable enough to come up to a prayer partner, but you can actually just, right where you are, talk to God anywhere you are, because He is everywhere. And so don't let maybe your own self-pride keep you in bondage to being set free from what Christ has done for us. So I'm going to pray for us. I'd ask the, uh, the, the band to come back up. And I just want to thank you all this morning for this opportunity to share the gospel with you all. And so as the band comes forward, um, and I pray for us, if you want to talk to somebody, you can come down here in the front, or there'll be elders out in the commons. And let me, let me pray for us. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are so precious. Oh, God, you have done so much for us, and we are so grateful and thankful to you for what you have done. Oh, God, help us to never move away from you, because you don't move from us. I'm so thankful that you never moved from me, even at times in my life when I moved so far from you. And so, Lord, this morning, I don't know what's going on in every single person's heart, but you do. And so, God, I pray that you would draw these people to you, that may, they may experience your love and your forgiveness, that they may experience rebirth. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you for this church. Lord, may this church always be founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and his work. In Jesus' name we pray.